you're not familiar with the movie Hacksaw Ridge, Doss is in the military, and he's a conscientious objector. And some of the guys that he was going through training with took particular offense to his convictions and challenged him on those. Sometimes in life, we're put into situations where we are expected to respond, where people push our buttons and they challenge us. They insult us. And anything else try to, to try to get a rise out of us. It might be a situation like Doss was experiencing. It might be some political situation for you. Some politician jerks your chain. It might be a social situation that really grinds your gears. It might be a pot-stirring coworker. I'll be careful with this one. <clears throat> but it just might be a difficult family member that always causes drama, and you just want to give a piece of your mind. Could be blatant abuse of a person or people group that makes you indignantly angry. There are legitimate responses to every one of those situations, each one of them. There's also worldly responses to those situations that are outside the will of God. I intentionally listed those situations as to, one, not stir the pot myself for being right here, and two, to cause you a little bit of thought and reflection because I imagine there's no one in the room that one of those situations isn't at least a little bit familiar to you. If I were to get too detailed, though, we wouldn't have enough time to work through all the situations that there really are in our world. But what I can tell you is that as you encounter situations, as I encounter situations that either inspire or infuriate us, we need a tool. We need a tool to how do we approach those? How do we deal with those situations? Last week, we went through the peace of Christ from Colossians. It's the tool. It's the tool that helps us make decisions and take actions as we deal with going through things going on in our lives, as we engage these difficult topics, as we deal with people who hurt us and how we look different. The peace of Christ needs to be the thing that is accompanied by prayer, it's accompanied by submission and biblical compliance, we, we lean into God's word and, and what he's revealed to us about how he wants us to act. But those are the things that when, when led by thankfulness, our life reflects thankfulness, it's how we get through all these difficult situations. This week, what we're going to do is look at how you make those decisions and how you deal with those situations amid chaos. So the question is, how do we act when the world's influencing us? The answer to that is we must be resolved. We have to resolve ourselves to act within God's will. That's the simple answer. Another way to say this is we must be anchored in our beliefs before we're presented with a dilemma. 
Let's talk about resolve for just a minute. Talk through what it actually means to define resolve. It means to decide firmly, not just a a lighthearted decision, but a firm decision on a particular course of action. Some synonyms that go along with resolve, determine, tenacity, I like that one, and simply to make up your mind. Colonel Sanders had a quote about resolve that I want to read to you guys. He said, I made a resolve then that I was going to amount to something if I could. And no hours, no amount of labor, nor amount of money would deter me from giving the best that there was in me. And I've done that ever since, and I win by it, I know. The important thing to remember out of this is about resolved, about resolve is someone being anchored in their beliefs and committed to those beliefs before they ever set out to get from point A to point B. We talked a little bit about point A and point B and what happens between those last week, but between point A and and beyond, point A and B and beyond being solid in how you make decisions, being firm in your foundation is the key. We're going to read from Daniel today. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, if you brought your Bibles, I absolutely invite you to read along with me. So Daniel is one of those books that's kind of buried in the middle of the Old Testament. I want to do some Bible drills with you. I'm not going to ask you to tell me where it's at, but I will tell you. So when you look at your Old Testament, you start with the Pentateuch, the Torah, the, the beginning, the first five books, the books of Moses. You've got Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. After that, you go through the historical book. This, the first three are always fun to say. Joshua judges Ruth. And then you've got the first and seconds, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, and then three kind of, they're not obscure books, but the names get a little more obscure. You've got Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Then you go to the poetic books. You've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And then we get to the major prophets. Daniel is the fifth of five in the major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. So I'm starting again in chapter 1, verse 5. This may be a familiar story to some of you guys. And here we go. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. Let's stop at trained first. This series is about how we find peace when there's chaos in the world around us. What do we do when there's conflict? What do we do when we're challenged? What do do we do when political situations grind our gears? I like that term, grind our gears. It's it's been my, my phrase for the week. When social tensions drive our world into just insanity, what do we do? The first thing that we see Daniel and crew doing is they're being trained. These young men were in that. They were in a political, social, and just crazy situation. It's a better word for me this morning. They were in a crazy situation that, that caused them all kinds of strife, and you see them being trained. That is a double edged sword. The first part of being trained is becoming aware 
of what other people think. That's not necessarily a bad thing. If you understand how someone else thinks, you can engage them. You can have conversations with them. The other side of that is, depending on how the training goes, you can be assimilated. You, you can be brought into their fold. They can be teaching you a new way of doing things, and somewhere in your psyche, you buy in. That's the dangerous side of things. And we're going to watch in these first three verses, three, four verses of Daniel, how Daniel's going through that. He's dealing with being trained by the Babylonians. And he also recognizes they're trying to assimilate him and how he responds to that. The first thing that Daniel and, and his crew had to deal with was being trained. We keep reading. They were trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. The second thing is that they were going to be required. There was no option for them. They were required to serve the king, and to be clear, we call Jesus King Jesus sometimes. If you notice the K, it's lowercase. This is the Babylonian king. They were being required to serve. These young men had been taken from their homes their homeland, and moved somewhere else. Their routine had been completely interrupted. I don't know if there's been anything in our lives over the past couple of years that's interrupted our routines. This may be familiar. Footstomp, footstomp. It may be familiar. Our routines may have been messed up. They were trained and inundated with the ways of another culture. Is that familiar? But we're going to start to see Daniel's allegiance, where his heart was. Instead of absolutely resisting what was going on, he used this situation and the position that he gained through it to impact kingdom work, not the Babylonian kingdom. So we keep reading we know he was trained. We know they were going to have to serve the king. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Here's another thing. It's an indicator of all the pressure that these young men were going through. That renaming suggests that what was going on was they were being assimilated. They were being brought into the Babylonian culture. They were now subjects of the Babylonians. Their identity was being pulled from them. Now, this is a very subtle thing because in that time, it was not uncommon for, for the Israelites to have multiple names, to be known by multiple different things. Some of us have the same thing. I've been Tyler. I've been William. If you call me William, I'm going to answer. When my mom was really mad at me, I was William Tyler. Some of us who grew up in the South understand that. When you get called by two names, you're in trouble. If you get all three, whew. <clears throat> I've been Woody. I've been just Woodson. I've been Sergeant Woodson. I've had all kinds of different names. It's not uncommon in our culture 
for us to be known just like the Israelites were. But the important thing here is these young men were being given a new identity. If our names are changing, if it's, it's you know, that happens. It's part of, part of us growing up. We go from being little kids to getting family nicknames to, to being called by our last name on sports teams. Those things happen, but watch for your identity being pushed. Who you really are, who it is at the core of who you are, being forced to be changed by another culture. That's what Daniel and his friends were having to deal with. Now we get down to a part of this story that's, that's really familiar. The chief official gave them their new names. To, to Daniel, he named Belt, Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. That word resolve is really what this message is about. We start to see his nature here, not just his identity. His name was changed, but his nature remained grounded, anchored, and the same. His leadership shined as, as he became an example for his friends that were with him when this was written, and for us. He made a decision, this word resolve, that involved reason and logic and emotion. We live right now in a world that is, is absolutely emotionally led, and there's nothing wrong with emotions. But no, both are required. You have to have a degree of reason. You have to have a degree of thought in your decisions and passion. That's what we see going on in Daniel, is he was passionately committed to God. The way he was resolving this was by knowing what he was convicted of. Knowing his conviction beforehand and being determined to be faithful to God before there was ever conflict or temptation going on in his life. Before the Babylonians came into picture, he was committed to God. When captivity happened, he made his mind up then, there's going to become a, a point where I have to draw a line. And it is at that line that the decision I made before the line ever showed up where it becomes obvious. In similar situations, if we wait until the moment where our convictions are, are called to the floor, it's too late to decide. If we wait until we have to make a decision about our lives and choices we make, when there's pressure, when there's temptation, it is too late. There are young men and young women in Kids Jam right now being taught ways of the Lord. In a few years, there'll be teenagers, and peer pressure will jump on them. Everybody in here who is a teenager or was a teenager knows exactly what I'm talking about. And the decisions they need to make when those temptations happen need to be being made now. Because when they get there, it's too late. This is how Daniel was anchored when chaos could have swept him away. 
I already read that he had chosen, the reason he had chosen was to not defile himself. That, again, is the point where Daniel drew the line. It's the reason he had to anchor down. We're not exactly sure. There's different philosophies about why it was about the food and drink. That's what the, the, he was concerned with being defiled over. It could have been stuff from Mosaic law that there were certain foods that were unclean that, that could have been involved in the king's table. It could have been improper handling, butchering, processing of different foods. It could have been that these foods were involved in pagan sacrifice. A more subtle possibility could have been that Daniel and his entire people group were taken captive. They were slaves. They were hostages. And he was literally eating like a king. He was eating from the king's table. The king would have his meal, and the leftovers is what went to his servants and those training to become his servants. He was literally, again, eating like a king while his brothers and sisters were eating like slaves, and he could have been convicted about the situation that he's in. We don't know exactly why Daniel struggled with this, but there's something important about it. The assimilation that was going on had crossed lines for Daniel, whatever that reason was. There were implications that as Daniel went through all this stuff, he was being loyal to a king rather than the king. And he knew his primary obligation in life was to serve God. And under the current circumstances, he was no longer free to do that. He was preserving his identity as a servant of God. That's where Daniel drew the line. Remember, when we talk about food, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said what goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that's what does. So whatever the situation was, what was important and Daniel got it, was his identity was being taken from him. Now, I want to read this last little section of this. Daniel, again, he had resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Equally as important as how Daniel got to this line in the sand, how he recognized it, how he'd resolved that when this happened, where he was going to stand, equally important is how he handled it. This is a, a, a last little part of the passage that we kind of breeze across a lot of times when we're reading through Daniel. But let me tell you guys how important this is. Last week, again, we talked about getting from point A to point B and using the thanks of God being our motivator that prevents us from running over people going from A to B. Daniel knew he had to do something and he knew how he went about it mattered. The best the best thing, the, the most important thing that just jumped out to me at this is Daniel did not get on Facebook and start bashing the Babylonians. He didn't go over to his friends and like, I can't believe they're talking to me that way. They're not doing this. He didn't stir up drama. He didn't even go to those leaders and attack them. And all of us are guilty in our lives of something similar. We'll get on social media. We might do all three of those in one Facebook post. 
That's what we do. It's what our society does. And Daniel's giving us an example. We're not in captivity, y'all. This man was taken from his home and forced to do something he didn't want to do because he'd rather serve God. And we sit in our air-conditioned cars and offices and homes with our phones and jump on Facebook and bash everybody who doesn't do things our way. He didn't make demands. There was nothing irrational about his behavior. He made a simple, earnest, and reasonable request. That's how Daniel handled this. This lesson, this part of what we need to learn in this is not only is when we draw the line, how to draw the line, but how to communicate our convictions because that's important too. Brash demands are rarely ever going to accomplish the real goal we want. The fruit here of Daniel's methodology is that if we were to read in the chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges God. We never hear that he came to faith in God, but at least Daniel's impact started softening this man's heart. And he appointed Daniel and his friends leaders in the kingdom, and they were able to then impact things for God while they were in captivity. So how does this all apply to our lives? Absolutely, we know, Pastor Mike's talked about this, there is a woke mob outside that's pushing on us, wanting us to do things their way. Are there not classes in some of our jobs that we're required to take by our employers that teach us about acceptance of other people's ways? <laughs> Look, I've already kind of hinted at the way I feel about social media. Don't get me wrong, I use it, and I'm guilty of some of the things I've talked about, but... Heaven knows there's things on there that we get wrapped around our axles and off in the ditch. Again, we're not in captivity, but everywhere we go, something or someone is pushing on us. The politically correct culture is trying to influence how we do things as people of God. And if you aren't anchored in your faith... If you don't know what you believe about God right now, if you don't know what you, his will is in your life, rather than godly priorities being the thing that leads you, the tides of political correct culture will sweep you away. How to be anchored. Here's a few things for you. First thing, you have to know God's word. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us a formula for being battle-ready. We call it the armor of God. And it starts with and hinges upon the truth, which is the word of God. If you want to be ready for the battle, you have to know God's word. Insert plus one. Are you taking part in personal study? If you're not, there's a communication card. I will get you on Right Now Media this week. I will, get, I will help you engage your own personal study because if not, you are unarmored and there is a battle outside. Smaller groups, these things are important. We read about four men with Daniel. Y'all can laugh at that one. Um, 
We read about four, four men, Daniel and his three friends. That was why I held up the three. Mm-hmm. He had the company, accompaniment, and accountability of his friends. He was absolutely a leader. But what if he'd been alone? How many leaders do we read about in our culture that are strong leaders, moral people? They're high integrity, but when they get alone and they face a temptation, fall and fall fantastically. Daniel had his friends there by his side, and he knew they were watching. His mind was made up, the line was drawn, and those three men behind him fortified, encouraged, and challenged him simply by their presence. Who's your presence? What small group do you have of people that when your line needs to be drawn, there are people saying, we believe in you, we're with you, we'll stand beside you? If you don't have that, you need it. And the last thing I've kind of hinted to a couple times already in this message, you got to make your mind up now. If you wait, it's too late. Daniel was young. He was in captivity, but he was resolved. He was anchored. He knew what he believed. He knew why he believed it, and he had a legacy now because of it. Temptations and calamity are easier to deal with when you see them coming and they're a distance away. We see this in our lives. We see it with teenagers and physical intimacy. We see it with men and pornography, and, and, and alcoholism. We see it with married women who don't get the attention that they feel like they need when somebody flirts with them at work. You have to make your mind up now that no means no, teenagers. When you say, I'm waiting, you're committed to that. Because if you wait until the wrong moment, it will be too late. Fellas and ladies, every one of us need to know when I say I'm not having another drink, we need to know where that line is where one's too far and stop before we get there. We need to know the temptation that comes along with flirting at work and say, I need to know what this looks like because I'm not going to engage in it because the slope is slippery. And once you get on it, turning around on a slippery slope is incredibly difficult. We are called to serve and live in the world. It's the truth. We're called also to limit how we participate in certain things. Make your minds up now how you're going to raise your family, how you're going to spend your money, how you're going to honor your spouse, how you're not going to tell that particular joke, and again, that you'll say no before that drink that goes too far. To make those kinds of wise decisions are ways we can honor God. And again, if you're going to do that, you have to make the decision now. If you've never submitted, it's the first step. We want to help you with that. If you're in the middle of a war right now, we want to help you with that too. You may not be able to fix the past, but there's hope for the future. 
but you have to make your mind up right now. If either one of those two things applies to you, Pastor Mike and I want to talk with you. We want to help you. You can use your communication card, write your name, my phone number, and call me, and we'll get in touch with you this week. Our Father, we are so very grateful for the example of men like Daniel, men who faced adversity head on and grounded in their faith in you. Lord, they knew when too much was too much, and they knew how to handle it. I pray that your spirit gives us the same wisdom and the same courage to engage our lives. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen. Hey, Grace Community Church, we really do hope you had a great week last week. Enjoy your spring break if it's that week for you. We'll see you next week.